Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. In the first few weeks of COVID-19, Google recorded a significant spike in the number of people searching the topic of prayer. Perhaps that's not surprising, but what was interesting is that it occurred even in countries that are not known to be very religious. Prayer is often something people turn to in a crisis. Observing social media after a natural disaster or a school massacre or a pandemic crisis such as coronavirus, one of the things that is so common is for people to send their thoughts and prayers to those affected. Often those prayers are being sent from the very same people who don't profess to have any faith or belief in God whatsoever. I wonder why is that? Well, you might think, well, that's just because it seems like the right thing to say when you don't know what to say. But I think it could be something deeper than that. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that God has set eternity in the human heart. And I think every human has an inbuilt longing for connection with God, whether they acknowledge it or not. Deep down, we're all wanting to find purpose and to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And I believe the reason so many people naturally default to the practice or at least the platitude of prayer in crisis is that they are putting words to something that deep down they are longing for. If that's true, it makes this time of crisis a great opportunity for the people of God to proactively reach out to their neighbours because people are searching for answers and may be more open right now than ever before. That's why I keep saying that we're not pressing pause, we're passionately pursuing Jesus in the midst of this pandemic. For those who are Christians, and that's many of us joining together this morning, prayer is not something that we should only resort to in times of crisis. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective, which makes prayer perhaps the most powerful and underutilized weapon that we have in life. Last week, we started our series in the book of Ephesians, which is titled The Blessing in Blooming. And in the first week, we looked um, at the first half of chapter one. And if we were to summarize verses one to 14, we could do it with one word. That word would be praise. Today we're looking at verses 15 to 23, and if we could summarize these verses with one word, that word would be prayer. 
The Apostle Paul, in one long, breathless sentence, praised God for his promises in the first half of this chapter. But now in the second half, he prays that the people in Ephesus would fully grasp and lean into the promises of God in their everyday lives. We all know it's one thing to know God, but it's an entirely different thing to live like we know God. That's Paul's great prayer for these people, and it's my prayer for us as well. It seems as though the recipients of this letter were actually living their faith out quite well. In fact, so well that Paul had heard about it. Verse 15 says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Essentially, these Christians in Ephesus were living the way that every Christian should be living. They are loving God and they are loving their neighbor in a way that is so radical, so countercultural that Paul had heard about it. You know, our faith should be like that as well. If people don't see anything different in our lives, we'd have to question whether we're actually living as disciples of Jesus at all. Our faith should be something that people should see and should hear about. Jesus says it this way. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In a city that was hostile towards Christianity, these faithful believers in Ephesus were following Jesus in a real and in an active way. And so Paul now prays for them that they've been encouraged to keep going in that faith. The prayer of Ephesians chapter 1 could really be broken down into three distinct parts. And we're going to focus on each of these parts this morning. And at the end of each part, we're going to have a pit stop for prayer. And we're going to practice what we're preaching about today. The first part of Paul's prayer really is a prayer of thanks. Verse 15 says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. This is a prayer of thanks for other people in Paul's life who are bringing him encouragement. Now, if we're honest when it comes to prayer, a lot of our prayers are often more self-centered than that. We pray about my circumstances and my needs and my wants and my future and my life. And in the midst of a crisis, that becomes even more prevalent because our needs, well, they become more urgent. In a crisis, we often become more insular because we can't get past the way that we feel, the anxiety that we're experiencing, and the things that we need. But one of the things I love about this letter to the Ephesians is that it was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in the midst of his own personal crisis. His crisis was that he was locked in a prison cell for his faith. And while he's sitting there in chains, most likely in a cold, uncomfortable, dirty, and probably tiny cell, Instead of grumbling and complaining, instead of being overwhelmed with anxiety and stress, he is actually writing encouraging letters and he's praying prayers of thanks for the faith he has seen and heard in the lives of others. I think we would all understand if Paul's prayer in this season were self-centered in a time such as that. And maybe we could even relate to it because that's where we automatically go in times of crisis. But I think there's so much that we can learn from Paul Because in the midst of a crisis that he was going through, and in the darkness of a prison cell, his prayers show that he's thinking of and thanking God for the faith of others in his life. Now, you and I aren't in a prison cell, but right now we are experiencing isolation. And it would be really easy for us to be praying self-centered prayers. 
But the New Testament is actually full of one another commands. Love one another. Serve one another. Care for one another. Honor one another. Build one another up. Be devoted to one another. And pray for one another. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. In this time of COVID-19, I want to encourage you not just to be caught up in your own circumstances, but to also be praying for others, others in your life, and particularly thanking God for the people that he has placed in your life. And so I wonder this week, who are you going to be thanking God for? Who are the people in your past who have invested significantly in your life? Well, thank God for them. I remember two of my youth group leaders when I was a teenager. One was called Matt Jackson. The other one was called Andy Fox. And if it wasn't for them in a really pivotal time of my life, staying in touch, making phone calls, caring for me, encouraging me, helping me in life and in faith, I don't know where I'd be today, but I probably wouldn't be doing this video. And so I'm thankful for them. And I thank God regularly for the role that they've played in my life. I also think about the people I'm journeying with right now. My parents and my grandparents who've been such awesome role models for me. And I thank God for them and their faith. I thank God for the mentors that God's placed in my life, the people I look up to and learn from. And so I wonder who can you thank God for this week? Maybe for you it's your parents, might be your kids, it could be your pastor, that's a good one. Might be your teacher, a mentor, a role model in faith. Well, we're going to do our first pit stop now for prayer. And a couple of our follow kids are going to lead us in this time of prayer. And they're going to have a prayer time of thankfulness for the people in our lives. Dear God, thank you for my mum and dad. Amen. Dear God, thank you for everyone in the whole world. Amen. The second prayer Paul prays is a prayer of relationship. In verse 17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Last week, we talked about God being one God in three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And once again, in these verses, we see the triune God in Paul's prayers. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What an amazing thought that we can come to know this incredible, indescribable, powerful, triune God better in our everyday lives. Last week, we not only explored a triune God, but we also explored our future inheritance. And I don't know about you, but I sure am looking forward to that. Can you imagine a new heaven and a new earth where everything that is out of order because of our sin is made right and restored to what God designed it to be? Imagine a world where everything that is bad or evil is completely removed and it's replaced with everything that is good and holy and perfect. Imagine a world without relationship breakdown, injustice, abuse, suffering, pain, boredom, evil, coronavirus, and even death. A future instead full of beauty and freedom, peace and love. A future where we'll enjoy unblemished relationships with one another in a recreated world with colour and vitality and life eternal. A world where our senses will be fully opened 
to all that we're immersed in and enjoying together. It'll be beautiful beyond belief, so much greater than anything we've ever experienced in our lives. And all of that will be extraordinary. And it's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit for every person who trusts in Jesus. But you know what? As great as all of that will be, none of it will actually compare to the wonder of being in the presence of God. You know, the greatest prize of our faith is not pavements of gold or mansions in heaven. The greatest prize of our faith is God himself, to know him. You know, the pursuit of discipleship is really to know him better every day. During COVID-19, for many of us, we've had so much more opportunity to spend time with those that we live with. This has been really special for our family. Uh, Kim and the girls have been able to binge watch reruns of Friends. Uh, If you don't know what Friends is, it's a corny 90s sitcom, which is basically a poor man's version of Seinfeld. And so I'm not that keen to watch it. But it means that Lenny and I have had a lot more father-son time together while the girls watch Friends. A couple of weeks ago, I took him for a drive to KFC where we bought lunch. And then we went to the local footy oval and we looked over the oval, dreaming about the old days when we could play sport on it. And we ate our lunch together in the car, just Lenny and I. And about 20 minutes in, Lenny said to me, Dad, I said, what's that, mate? And he said, we should do this more often. And I said, what's that? And he said, have lunch together in the car. We could get Hungry Jacks or Maccas or KFC every time. And when he said it, I just thought it was typical of a young kid just wanting junk food. But the next day, a very similar conversation occurred. You see, another thing we've been doing in this time of isolation is that we've been writing comics together. And as we're working on our latest comic, Lenny said to me, Dad, and I said, yes, son. And he said, you know what, we should do this more often together. And I said, what's that? And he said, write comics together. And it was in that moment that the penny dropped for me. You see, Lenny loved the KFC and he really loves the comics. But what he really loved most was time with his dad. You know, I felt so convicted that it's taken a crisis for me to spend that sort of quality time with my son to the point that he's noticing the difference. And when I realized what he was really saying, I must admit my heart sunk. Because what he's really saying is this, there may be a virus affecting the world, but what I'm really loving is uninterrupted time with you. You know, this is what Paul is praying for these people in Ephesus, that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they would know God better through spending time with him. You know, what a great prayer for us in this season as well. I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you would come to know him better during this time. You know, I I think we can think of this time in a number of different ways. We can be glass half full or glass half empty. But I really encourage you to think of it like a pre-season. We could think of it like a post-season or a pre-season. Now, we don't have sport at the moment, but at the end of each sports season, a team will have a post-season. And really, it's a time to kind of switch off. A lot of the sportsmen go on holidays. Some of the players really let themselves go. They'll eat junk food and they'll completely forget about sport for a while. And for some of them in that time, you know, they get a little bit out of shape. They come back unprepared for the season that is to come. But when it comes to our relationship with God, I pray that we would see this time not as a post-season, but as a pre-season. Because a pre-season is completely different. You don't switch off in a pre-season. You don't let yourself go. You build your muscles. You work on your fitness, your discipline with your diet and what you eat. And you get prepared for what's ahead. You know, church, we've been given a unique opportunity 
to see this like a preseason. In the Bible in one year last week, if you're following along, you would have read the story of Moses and Joshua. In the Old Testament, the people of God were on a journey towards the promised land. Their great leader Moses led them through the Exodus and out of slavery in Egypt and right through the wilderness. But God told him that he would never enter the promised land. And so he led the people right up to the very border of it. And then he died just before they went in. But before Moses died, he anointed a new leader called Joshua. And God encouraged Joshua over and over again to be strong and to be courageous and to lead his people into the promised land despite the many obstacles and enemies they would face. In Joshua chapter 3, just as they were preparing to cross over the Jordan River and enter that land, Joshua brings all the people together. And he says to them in chapter 3 verse 5, he says, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The amazing things would only be fully experienced by those who consecrated themselves, those who were prepared. And church, I really believe this is a time for us to consecrate ourselves. It's not a time to switch off. It's not a time to kind of put God on the shelf until we can gather again together. But instead, it's a time to feed ourselves on a diet of God's word, to build up our spiritual muscles in prayer, to get fit in our faith, ready for what God has in store on the other side of our wilderness. This is a season to get to know God better, to go deeper. I pray that we would come out of this time stronger, that we would use this season to go deeper, that we would trust in God and that our trust in Him would go wider and that our love for Him will grow hotter as we come to know Him better. And so we're going to have another prayer pit stop right now and Sim is going to pray for us a prayer of relationship. Father God, we just want to praise you for who you are, Lord. Father, we want to acknowledge, Lord, that you are a God who sent your Son to redeem us and to reconcile us us to you, Lord. And Father, Lord, I pray that we would know the depth of your love for us. That in this season, Lord God, we would just experience you in the deepest of ways, Lord. That we would be open to the things you want to do in us. In preparation for the things you want to do through us, Lord. I pray, Father, Lord, that we would just have a greater intimacy with you knowing just how deep your love is for us, Lord, your love that surpasses all our understanding. I pray, Father, Lord, just for a knowledge and experience of who you are. That, Father, in this time as we open your word, we would receive what you want to give us and we would know, Lord God, that you are who you say you are. It wouldn't just be words on a page because you promised us the Holy Spirit who will come and bring these words to life, that we would experience you through the Holy Spirit's indwelling in us, Lord God. And I pray, Father Lord, that this would be a time where we are renewed, where our spirits are awakened, to the knowledge of who you are and to knowing just who we are in you 
and the purpose that you have given to us, that we would be your people, your children who bring you glory, that would be a light in this world. We would be a representation, just like Jesus was of you, Lord. Father, Lord, let our hearts be in tuned with yours to receive all that you want to give us, all that you want to fill us with so that we can come through this season with a new understanding and having our feet firmly planted on who you are and the promises that you have for us, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord God, that there is no greater love than the love that you have given us because of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the third prayer that Paul prayed in this passage was a prayer of hope and power. Verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You know, as you get older, it gets harder to get through the night without having to go to the bathroom. I'm not sure if your bladder shrinks or you just don't have the same self-control, but post 40, most nights include an early morning trip to the bathroom. Now, my eyesight is not great, even in the best of times, and particularly without my glasses. And so those trips in the pitch black are interesting to say the least. In fact, you could probably say they're quite an adventure. A couple of weeks ago, I must have been particularly groggy in the middle of the night when I woke up. And as I walked the well-worn track to the bathroom, I must have kind of veered off course. And as I put my arms out to try and feel the familiar space, I found myself face to face with something I didn't recognize. It was a foreign wall. And as I felt for all the normal corners and power points, I couldn't find them. And for a moment, I had this kind of moment of panic. I thought, where am I? Did I walk through the wardrobe into Narnia? And will I ever find my way home? I didn't have a clue where I was. Well, eventually, after what seemed about five minutes of tumbling around in the dark, I was able to work out where I was and I kind of redirect myself and I slowly navigated my way back to the bathroom before it was too late, thankfully. You know, life must be so difficult when you're blind, when you can't see things clearly. But that's what it's like spiritually before you come to know Jesus personally. It's like we're stumbling around in the dark, but when we encounter Jesus, the light of the world, it's like the lights are switched on, the the curtain is pulled back, and we could see what we couldn't previously see about who God is and who we are in Him, and it's now revealed in a glorious way. It's like the eyes of our heart are now opened up, enlightened. Like I said before, it's one thing to know about God, but it's an entirely different thing to live like we know God. And Paul prays for the Ephesians that the eyes of their heart would be opened to know the hope and power they have in Christ. In verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. 
in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. We spoke about that last week. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. And so he's talking about a future hope, but he's also talking about a present power that is available to all who believe. You know, like I said before, it's one thing to know about God's power. It's another thing entirely to live in it. It's an incomparably great power for who? For us who believe. And so Paul uses these three events to describe this power. He says it's a power we have access to that is like the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Look at verse 19. It says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. You know, Jesus was dead in the grave for three days. He had no pulse, no breath, no hope, no life until God the Father brought him back from death to new life. Now, that is absolutely impossible. Only God can do that. It's incredible power. You know, because usually when things that are dead, they actually stay dead. But we have access to a power in God, uh, the kind of God who can bring dead things back to life. And so if there are things that we think are dead in our lives, maybe we think there's no hope for that relationship. There's no future in that career. There's no forgiving that mistake I've made. There's no overcoming that obstacle in my life. Well, it's important to remember that we have access to a power that brings dead things back to life. Paul says it's like the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Secondly, he says it's like the power that seated Jesus at the right hand of God. Now, the right hand of God symbolizes a place of authority and power. John Stott describes it like this. He says it's a place of supreme honor and executive authority. I want you to think about an earthly kingdom for a moment. You know, earthly kingdoms have kings who can wield incredible power. All they have to do is say the word and things happen in their kingdom. Well, it's important to remember that Jesus isn't just ruling over some piddly, temporary, earthly kingdom. Jesus is the King of kings and he is ruling over all creation. Verse 21 says he is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. In other words, for all eternity. And so we can get word from our doctor. We can get word from our friends, words from the government, words from our family, words from our leaders, words from the media. People can speak good words over your life. People can speak bad words over your life, but they'll never speak the final word over your life because Jesus is the supreme executive authority. His word is the final word because he's seated at the right hand of God. And here's the good news. He says, you're precious. He says in Christ that you are an overcomer, that you're forgiven, that you're chosen, that you're adopted, that you are redeemed. He says that you are dearly loved. You're more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You have access to the power, the very same power that has seated Christ at the right hand of God. The third thing Paul says is that you have access to a power that's like the power that placed all things under Jesus' feet. You know, Psalm 110 is the most frequently quoted psalm in the New Testament. And it begins like this. It's pointing to Jesus and it's later quoted by Jesus himself in Matthew 22. It says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
You know, so often, even as Christians, we choose to stand in things. We stand in anxiety. We stand in fear. We stand in worry. But I want to tell you this morning, we're not called to stand in those things. We're called to stand in the power of the gospel. We're called to stand in Christ. And when we're in Christ, we start to get on top of those things. How? Because we're in Christ and those things, they're under his feet. Anxiety, where is it? It's under his feet. Worry is under his feet. Satan is under his feet. Demons are under his feet. Sin is under his feet. Death is under his feet. Verse 22 says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As Christians, we should be the most enthusiastic, joyful, and confident people on earth. We're not recreated in Christ to be insipid, scared, weak doormats. We're called to step out of our fear with confidence and humility and walk in the power of God who's placed all things under Jesus' feet. This is the incomparably great power available for us who believe. Paul prays it for the Ephesians, and I pray it for us today. I want to finish this message this morning with a song because I know that you love it when I sing. It's one of my favorite songs. It's called Break Every Chain. And so I'm going to sing it once through, just a little bit of the chorus, and then you can sing with me. Are we ready to go? It says this. It goes, There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus, to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. Come on, sing with me. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus, to break every chain, to break every chain. To break every chain. This morning, I want you to make this your declaration. This week and over your life, remembering that we have an incomparable power available to us. Step into it in Christ. Paul's now going to lead us in our final pit stop, and he's going to pray for us a prayer of power. Lord, we love you, and we want to place you in the highest place now. We want to lift you up above our thoughts, our fears, above all our circumstance right now and just say that you are God over our lives in this place, over this nation, over our church. Lord Jesus, we want to acknowledge and not just acknowledge but live by your power the power that we cannot compare to anything else, the power that we cannot, that, that, that does not, is not fathomable by, by uh, rulers and, and standards because it's beyond our comprehension. We want to live by that power in faith. Lord Jesus, we want to press in to your heart and knowing full well that we will only ever get a glimpse of you, but the, the glimpse that we, we gain and from beyond there, we, we grow into this amazing love relationship with you. Lord Jesus, we want to live by your power. We want to stand in your power. 
and we want it to change us from the inside out. May we represent you, not just by a name tag that says that we're a Christian, but that we can take off any time that doesn't suit us, but we want to represent you, Jesus, from the inside out, out of the overflow of our spirit. Confident, knowing that your power is what is going before us for ministry, for loving, for caring, and it's the Holy Spirit that is doing the work. We ask for your healing over our lives and over the many people around us that are just resigned to the fact that there is nothing that can set them free from their physical infirmities or from their mental or, or, or any other form of encumbrance. But Lord Jesus, we want to ask that your healing will come over these people, your mighty power. We love you. We lift you up. We give you all the glory. Amen. Well, I really hope that you've been inspired today by the stunning truth of Ephesians chapter 1. As we pray this week, I pray that we would be praying prayers of thankfulness, that they would be prayers of relationship with God, and that they'd be prayers of hope and power. We're going to thrive in this season as we consecrate ourselves and prepare our hearts for the great things God will do. Thanks for tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.